0: Are you excited for the Word of God? Yeah. Are you hungry for the Word of God? Yeah. Okay, we've got the Word of God all lined up, ready to go. I was talking to Grace earlier and I said, I'm just so excited. She says, Dad, you're verging on loopy. So uh, you <laughs> how's that for creating expectation for this morning? Okay, nothing new in me being loopy. Sometimes a fire is good for a forest. Sometimes a ravaging destruction that we might see on the TV or if you've ever been close to it, uh, the massive bushfire or a farm burn-off is essential in the ecosystem, and it's essential for what's called regeneration. Um, some countries, the, the ecosystem actually requires it, and without it, it starves. It, it, it's um, just, just the, the forest almost dies. Uh, there was one survey that I discovered in my research, I stumbled across it in uh, Tallahassee in the state of Florida. They did a a study over 40 decades. How many years is that? Mm, 40 decades. Well, that's a long time. But what they discovered without a a scheduled or a managed burn-off in that forest, what they noticed is that 90% Decline—a ninety percent decline in what was happening in the life of that forest, with regards to the foliage and the trees and the and the variety of plants—a ninety percent decline because of the absence of the fire. There was one species of animal; was a a bird, uh, some kind of woodpecker, disappeared completely because it requires in its sustenance what comes out of the fire. So yes, I mean if you've seen it on the TV, risk of damage. And in fact, in the worst case, people lose their lives. Ravaging fires, destroying homes and livelihoods. So it's it's, it's horrific, and I'm uh, and I'm not I'm not denying that. But what I'm saying is for the forest, for the food species that's there, for the the regeneration of plants. You know, um, one Australian variety of the eucalypt kind of uh, conifer pine actually requires the heat of the intensity of the and the intensity of the fire to release the seed out of its cones and without it it just can't regenerate what's my point bushfires are essential to allow new and healthy growth to come for ecosystems to allow regeneration maybe that's the same for you perhaps your life is the same and this morning we've been praying that the fire of God, would come and ravage you, not to destroy you, but to bring new life. And that's the prayer we've gone through. And a couple of weeks ago, um, I shared a, a kind of a prophetic message called um, "Spring Has Sprung," and in that, I shared how I felt the Lord really said to me that He'd shifted the season for our church. And that, that what I what I heard him say in my in my spirit was that the season of heaviness and oppression had come to a close. And he said, "Spring has sprung. Spring has sprung. Expect to see new life." If you haven't listened to that message again, I encourage you to go find it on the socials, or get the church app on your phone, or or watch it online. And really ask God to to help you to glean the value for you and your family and what God is saying to us prophetically, corporately, but what he's got in that is seeds of life for you personally. Spring has sprung. So I'm going to give you the second half of that message today, the second part of it, because there's a a wise woman that we started to learn from. We're going to look at the continuation of her story today and uh there's a bonus depending on how long I talk. So let's say if I'm finished this part by 20 past, we'll do the bonus. Because the bonus is really good. But I don't want to keep you from lunch or coffee or anything like that. So, I, I mean, if I go long, you miss out. Sorry. Hurry up, you say. Okay. Well, there's a potential problem, though, with where I'm going today, because I am talking about life and, and potency. Uh, And and we need to look at the nature of us as human beings. I believe that every single one of us are created in God's image. I believe God sparked something inside your mother and life was born. It's like this, this explosion at a moment. And in that nanosecond where that explosion happened, I believe God's Spirit breathed something into you personally. I believe every single one of us has the the DNA of God, but in that we have the purpose of God inside of us. Every single person. That He has deposited in you the DNA and the character, the strengths and the talents, and the passion and burden necessary for the assignment He's given you. And as I said last time, don't you dare use age as a discounter, it's an excuse. And it doesn't work with God because in God's kingdom, there's no such thing as retirement, only refirement. So all you old people, I'm looking at you, Lloyd. You can wake up and listen. Oh, sorry. Well, you were just looking at me, man. I'm just like, I just got, the, got a connection going on here. That's awesome. But every single one of us has powerful, potent potential inside of us because God breathed it into us and God does not die. So we've got, to, we've got this risk where we can look at the natural and we can miss what God's got in, inside of us. These things come as a form of dreams. They come in the form of visions. They, they come in the form of a burden that keeps you awake at night, that gets you excited. This is why I get so pumped when I get to come up here and share with you because it's something in me that God birthed a long time ago. But here's the problem. If we don't see progress with our natural eyes, we get caught up in the cycle of the, of the despair and we think the dream is dead. We go out and we buy a coffin. We get a shovel and we dig a hole. And we bury our dream. But that's a problem because when you bury your dream, you sabotage your future. So this opening statement, I posted it on the social this week. Please, don't bury what God wants you to resurrect. Don't bury what God wants to bring resurrection power to. If I was going to furtick that, I would probably say, sell your shovel but and get away from the hole because we want to make sure we don't bury what God's putting life into. Now you might feel like your dream is dead. You might even see the flames. You might smell the smoke. You might have the scars of a recent fire that's come through your life. Yes, the truth is your reality might look different to the promise that you're holding in your heart. But as we often say here, don't judge God by your circumstances. Instead, judge your circumstances by God and what God has said. It's not over. It's not done. We've got to allow God to shift us in this timing of the seasons. As I said two weeks ago, you don't determine the season in your life. Who are you think you are? The Creator defines the seasons, and we've got a flow in the season. God has said spring has sprung, so we need to shift. And we need to position ourselves, as we're going to learn today, to allow Him to bring His miracles into our, into our midst. So here's the, here's the new life forming out of the crack in the, in, the, in the earth. And I want to say to you today that spring brings life. Spring brings life to that which seems dead, You can hold a seed in your hand and it might look brown and dry and crack and you might think there's nothing in that. But when God breathes on it, when he generates some kind of growth bursting out, we see life. So yes, you might feel like your dream is dead. Yes, you might feel like your purpose is is, is a season gone by and you've missed it. You might even still smell the smoke around you because of the fire, but God says this, I am not finished with your situation. Spring brings life to that which seems dead. So I want to bring you back to this lady. I want to bring you back to this Shunammite woman that we, we, we lingered in her life uh, last time I spoke with you. And we lingered because we wanted to learn something. And this Shunammite woman and her husband were happy in life, going along well, and then Elisha becomes part of their household. And through the journey that she went through, uh, this lady showed us this. Have a look at the screen. This is from the last message. When you're proactive in your proximity to power, the promise presents your purpose-filled progeny. That was the landing statement of the last message. When you're proactive, so the the big words in bold are what we can expect to see as as part of our promise activation. You're proactive in your proximity to his power, by the way, not, not yours, the promise that comes from him presents you your purpose-filled progeny. What's progeny? It's offspring. It's life, It's new life. So this, this lady shows us that we can expect this, and we finished the story last week. I'm, I'm going back to Second Kings chapter Four. For those of you that have it in your notes, you'll know it's there. If not, swipe your screen to get to Second Kings Chapter four, because we're going to camp. This is our main passage again uh, for today. 2 Kings chapter 4, we we read in in verse 17, Elisha prophesies uh, that this time next year, you'll hold a son, and she says, really, no? And then in 17, sure enough, the Bible says, sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant, and at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha has said. That was where we landed last time. So we're gonna pick up from there. We're gonna pick up and we're gonna read from 2 Kings uh, chapter four. And I wanna look at verse 18 to 20. One day, her child was older. He went out to help his father who was working in the harvesters. Suddenly the child cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. Must have been a young boy. But around noontime, he died. So one minute, there's a promise and a boy is born. Next minute, boy's dead. Don't you love the tension in the Bible? The promise, the baby, the dead body. The promise seems to be dead. But what this woman does, what she shows us is our lesson for today. And there's five aspects of her behaviour that I want to highlight for you, I want to point you to, because from five things that we see that she does, we can actually shift our perspective on our reality to walk in what God's promised. We can do that. We can say, woe is me, the child is dead. Or we can say, and do what this woman does. I want you to watch closely. The first thing I want you to notice is that this woman immediately responds to seek God. Immediately. First thing she does. and In this time, in this crisis, boy's not breathing. She says, I must go to the man of God. What does that mean for us? We go to God. In those days, they had the prophet that was the intermediary. We don't need that anymore. We go to God directly. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 4 from verse 21. She, the mother, she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. So if you read the story last time, there's this upstairs room Elisha used to hang out in. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. She sent a message to her husband "'Send one of the servants and a donkey "'so I can hurry to the man of God and come right back.' "'Why go today?' the husband asked. "'It's neither a new moon festival, nor is it a Sabbath.' "'She said it will be all right.' "'So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, "'Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to.' "'As she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, Elisha is about 15 miles away. "'She's travelled 15 miles. "'She approaches Elisha, who saw her in the distance.' He said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, Is everything all right with you, your husband, and your child? Here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice how she acts in this situation. Firstly, her husband says to her, Why are you going? It's not like Easter and it's not Sunday. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a festival and it's not the Sabbath. Why would you go to the man of God? And she says, it'll be all right. And then when you, you see her the second time, she approaches Mount Carmel. Elisha's sitting there on his um, chair and Gehazi sees her and, and Elisha says, quick, hurry to her and find out if she's okay. And what does she say to Gehazi? It'll be all right. What do we need to see here? the word, the Hebrew word in the Bible that she uses is shalom. Her husband says, what's wrong? She says, shalom, peace. Gehazi says, what's wrong? Is it okay? Are you all right? Is your husband fine? She says, peace. She uses this word shalom. You look it up, just Google it, find out the definition of the Hebrew word shalom. You'll find that it means um, wholeness. It means peace, it means tranquility, it means prosperity, it means friendship, and it means wellness. Shalom. She is speaking in faith to those men who asked her. This is a word of instruction for some of you. Your words are killing your potential. For many of you, you're speaking to people that can't help you with your problem. Don't speak to people that can't help. Stop it. Because in that, you're speaking death to the dream that God's put before you. And this woman shows us that. She said in faith to her husband, shalom, meaning it is well, it is fine, things are good. She said shalom to Gehazi, the same thing, because she knows her words have power. And if she says the wrong thing, her words will have destruction and death in them as she speaks them out. There's one place you have to go with your heart. And this woman shows us. Verse 27. When she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. And then she says, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? Didn't I say, don't deceive me? and get my hopes up. But what we've got to see here is her response before God on her knees. Here's another thought. Words are different to prayers. Words are different to prayers. Don't spend all your energy with words and conversations with people when God is actually waiting for you to come to him on your knees. You can waste your energy thinking you're finding answers and in fact all you're doing is speaking death. God is your answer. Paul writes this. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, a well-known passage. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Christ Jesus. This is a a simple instruction, but it's a difficult discipline because I'm looking for comfort. And often I try and find comfort in a person. God says, no, in all things, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, meaning bringing your heart before God, let your requests be known to him. This woman teaches us, we must come before God and we must bring our heart before him because only he can bring what we need in that moment. As I'm speaking today, I want you to Remember situations in your life where you felt like you were up against something similar to this. Assess what you did against what this woman does and see, is there any correction for me as I travel today? So what's the second aspect of the story that we see? We, we, we see this woman shares her heart's cry and, and I want you to know something. that When we see repetition in the Bible, we find a principle that God wants us to note. When someone says something twice or thrice, prick your ears up and watch what's going on because God wants to show you something. So have a look at her comment. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter four, she repeats something that I don't know if you noticed it. Back last time when I shared, Elisha calls her in and he prophesies over her that she will hold a son. And last time I talked about the significance of that. You can grab it on the, Podcast. But if you look at verse 16, she protests almost. No, my Lord, she cried. "O man of God, do not deceive me and get my hopes up like that. So look what she says. Do not deceive me. Now, we read this again if you travel down into the story we're looking at today, because in verse 28 that I just read, she said to the prophet when he says, are you okay? She says, Lord, my Lord, did I not say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? So we see it twice in the story, so we've got to take note of it. Now, I haven't got time to unpack the Hebrew compilation of the sentences and the words. It's very complex, and it's, to be honest, it's above my pay grade. But the essence of what she's saying Is this, let me read this for you. This is her heart before God. Listen to this. Do not allow me to be misled into a sense of security by my prosperity of heart. She's saying to the prophet, her heart jumps with joy and anticipation for what he's saying, and then she's saying, But do not allow me to be misled into a sense of security because my heart is full of joy. She's humble. She's honest, and she's aware that her heart is fragile before God. The weaknesses are no different than you or I. When God gives us a promise, we can go, oh, choice. That's going to be great. And our heart gets snatched by the promise. And this woman didn't want that. She didn't want her heart to be misled. So so what does this this mean for you and, and me as God, as we're putting ourselves before God in a season of seeing promise come to life, spring brings new life, what do we see Here, if I'm fully satisfied, I may avoid my dependence on God. The risk in holding the promise is that we forget the one who gave us the promise. And when our heart is full, sometimes we don't acknowledge God. Sometimes we get the promise and we think the journey is going to be easy. Sometimes we delight ourselves in the glory of God and his presence and we deny ourselves the growth that comes through the process. Because when God gives a process, he always gives a pro- he, when God gives a promise, he always gives a process. And it's the process that prepares us, gives us the strength and the character necessary that is required to carry the promise. The bigger the promise, the bigger the process. That's why we started with the scripture. But before I get to that, let's read what David writes in Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. He says, you enlarged me in my distress. David knew that the distress he went through before God was in fact God enlarging his heart for what God was calling him into. Psalm 119 verse 67 says this, Before I was afflicted, I used to stray off. But now I keep your instructions. What's the implication there? Well, before I was afflicted, I did what I wanted. But after I've been afflicted and I've had a lesson or two, now I keep your instructions. God's always got a process as he leads us towards the promise. Let's not deny ourselves what God is doing because we get distracted and excited. And then the passage we read at the beginning of the service, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Be truly glad. Rejoice. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a while. So the promise is good. The destination is good. The joy is ahead of us. But Peter writes, to get to that, you're going to have to endure something. It's called God's process of preparation. These trials, Peter writes, will show that your faith is genuine. Your faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. So your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed you handle the fire of God and you handle the season of preparation, there will be much joy. See, God knows what we need. He gives us the promise. He gives us the destination. He says, come on, son. Come on, daughter. This is great. I'm leading you into something. And by the way, I'm going to prepare you for it. Because it's my experience that we have to have the character and the capacity to carry the promise. And that's not usually where we start. We must take care of our words and we must open our hearts to Him and allow Him to work in us. It's the third aspect that we see from the story. We see that in 2 Kings chapter 4. So I'm back in my key story and we're now down in verse 29. Elisha said to Gehazi, Get ready to travel, take my staff, meaning the stick not the employee, take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff, the stick, on the child's face. The mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live I won't go home unless you go with me. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There's no sign of life. He returned to me to Elisha and he said to him, the child is still dead. Gehazi runs on ahead. There's a lot of speculation when you read the commentaries as to why Elisha set Gehazi up like this. And yeah, you can look at a whole lot of different reasons, but here's my four cents worth. First cent, cent number one, Gehazi was the young servant and he can run ahead much faster and get there early. I don't know how old Elisha was. I didn't work it out, but he's sending the young boy ahead quickly. Second thought, second two cents worth I've got around that is that when the village sees the arrival of Gehazi, they will know the man of God's arrival is imminent because he's gone on ahead of him and wherever Gehazi is, they know Elisha will be there shortly. Three cents. To rest the staff on the boy's body, I don't believe... They were looking for a miracle. Because I don't think God is actually interested in putting glory in a stick. In fact, the opposite. We see there was no miracle. Gehazi comes back and hey, the boy's still dead. Elisha goes, I know, like, stick wasn't meant to raise the boy. It was meant to show that I'm coming. It's not a superstition thing God's into. Fourth four cents the staff, though, is a marker. This is what I love about this story. What does the marker say? Well, everyone knows it's Elisha's staff because he's, remember, he's been in this village in this house many times. He's a welcome guest in the upper room of the Shunammite and her husband. But what does it say to the family? Don't you dare bury the child. Do not prepare his body for burial for God is coming. And it's a powerful picture. It's an important tension to note though because we see God responds but we don't see anything change. Here's the risk. You pray and you pray and you pray and you ask God to bring about a miracle for your promise and you see nothing and you assume God is absent. But in this story, we see something different. God is present. God has sent the servant ahead. God is saying, I am coming. But when you don't see a change in your circumstances, you think God forgot. Who is God that he would forget one of his children? What's the bottom line? As I said earlier, please don't bury what God wants to bring resurrection to. There's a couple of um, prophetic things that um, we live by here uh, with regards to the promises of God. I've shared them many times. Um, there's many that I could, could, could go to, but the one that I felt to go to this morning for the church was in uh, 2012, before my arrival here, uh, several years before my arrival, there was a prophetic word that there would be a new sound of heaven flowing out of this church that it would lead the church family in worship before God, a fresh expression of heaven. We, as eldership, believe that is a confirmed, received word of God for this church community. No shadow, no doubt, strong conviction amongst the elders. Now, I can try and force that to happen by beating the musicians and working with them and encouraging them, but what good is that? On the flip side, I could say, well, we have no new songs today that are public that you're aware of that we're singing on the screen. And if that's the case, I could say, well, perhaps the promise is dead. Perhaps God is asleep. Perhaps he's dormant. But what I do know is God is always working. Regardless of what I see with my natural eyes, I need to understand God is always at work towards those things that he has promised his people. Can you at least say amen to that? because there's plenty of promises that I could talk to you about. I could, I could go around this room. Many of you I know personally, not so much just relationally, but I know prophetically what God has spoken over your life. And I could travel this room and point fingers at each of you that I have that connection with in that way, and I could agree with what I know God has said without denying reality, but not allowing reality to define what I know God said. Do You see what I'm saying? Let me give you, Ash, can you grab something out of that box that's just on a of there? That'd be good. I, was, I wasn't going to go anywhere personal today, but yesterday I had a truck arrive at home, which I was very excited about, because um, in 2009 I, I started to write a book, my third book, in fact, uh, fourth book uh, in 2009. I started to write that, and um, it's, it's been dead for 10 years. And in July this year, 2019, I felt the Lord say to me, Uh, not so gently, get up and do something with the promise I gave you. Because the manuscript that I put inside you is to bless many, many people. But it required my partnership because he said, God literally said to me, if it's in your Dropbox and you don't do anything with it, who's going to read it? And so yesterday, like, this is a little bit embarrassing. I'm not trying to be self-promoting, but boxes of these turned up yesterday from the printer. This is the fruit of my efforts in partnership with God's promise, and I'm really excited about this, but let let me explain it this way. I'm excited and I'm proud of the product that we've produced. I think it's exceptional content. It's been through a number of editing stages, so someone far more clever than me made it sound and read well. The designers and all that sort of stuff come together, but... The reality is I can't make people buy it. And I was wrestling over this one night, and Kathy said to me, she said, well, did God ask you to write the book or sell the book? He was very clear. He said, I've got to write the book. She's like, well, shut up then. Well, she wouldn't have said that. But her point was this. God will sell the book. So I've got to work out the tension of participating because I've confessed many times, sometimes I like to help God in bringing about the promise in my life. And I've got many stories, unfortunately, because I'm a slow learner, where I've had to confess that I've learned through scrapes, bruises, bumps, and failure that God reminds me I am not God. He is. And when good things happen, He will get the glory in line with His good promise in my life, not me. So all those good things that do happen to me are because of him and his blessing. But with regards to this, I am, I am standing here holding this up, saying I am expecting to see God do a miracle. That's my confession of faith. What do we see as the fourth aspect of the story, the Shunammite woman and, and what she shows us? Let's have a look. We're continuing down in Verse 32. Verse 32, when Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead. Okay, didn't change. Lying on the prophet's bed, the child was dead. Elisha went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth and his hands on his hands. What do we see happen here? Elisha touches a dead body. Like, ooh. My dad was a funeral director when I grew up, and uh, for a few years, we lived in a small town, and I lived right next door to the funeral home, and sometimes dad needed help. I won't tell you the stories, but ooh. But on a Jewish context, when you read the story in the culture of the day, there was law that said, in Numbers 19, if you want to read it, if a man touches a dead body, he shall be defiled and he must isolate himself for seven days to go through a purification ritual, basically rendering him useless for seven days. Worse, if the man was a priest, he could not minister unto God, which is even more of a downer. Was Elisha ignorant to the law? no. He's the man of God. But he goes in and he touches the body. In some cases, as you can read, he lies on it. So, why would Elisha disregard the law? Here's what I think. And hear this carefully, because I am not dishonoring or disregarding the laws of God and his principles. But I'm going to show you God's not as stink as you think. Here's the point. The risk of defilement is the very thing necessary for the miracle to occur. The risk is necessary for the miracle. Let me personalize that for you to be quite clear and explicit in what I'm saying. Your risk is necessary for your miracle. Did you get that? Say it with me. My risk is necessary for my you're not saying it come on no no don't make me do this five times say it with me my risk is necessary for my miracle god wants you to be part of it god wants you to do what he says he wants you to be obedient and again i'm not saying just go out and break every law in the book i'm not saying that you did not hear me say that but you got to take risk You've got to stop limiting your situation with your paradigms and your mindset and what you think. In fact, to prove this, that God is not as think as you think, let me show you another example where God does it himself. You can read the story in Luke chapter seven, where Jesus is on his way. Chapter seven and verse 11, if you want to read the story later, Jesus is making his way into the village and approaching him as a funeral procession. A widow meaning a lady with no husband, meaning a lady whose husband has already died, she is leading the procession, wailing as the Jews did, crying out loud in her grief, tearing her, herself because she, her heart is broken because her only son is the one being carried. In those days, they didn't have a hearse. They didn't even have coffins. Some translations say coffin, in it, but it's not a coffin. It's a plank, a piece of wood getting ready To put the body somewhere for burning, most likely, especially a poor lady. Jesus has compassion for the woman and he walks up and he stops the proceedings and he touches the dead body. Does Jesus forget the laws of God, do you think? Well, he's God. How can he forget? What's he doing? He's showing us that sometimes we need to risk expectations of others in order to access the miracle God wants to do. And he says, boy, rise up. And instantly that says in the scriptures in Luke chapter 7, the boy sat up and began to speak with his mother. Your risk is necessary for your miracle. There's so much in this passage. Oh, my goodness, I'm already running late. But you know, Jesus himself puts, him in, puts himself in the place of dirtiness in order for us to access cleanness. Liam spoke it beautifully with communion. There was no sacrifice except the one that the Lord would provide. Jesus became that sacrifice. Jesus became the one who would take on the death, to take on the sickness in order that we would have access to something greater. Do you think he took a risk? Elisha shows us this. How many times do we limit God by our our incorrect thinking? How many times do we place a limit or a paradigm in place and God says, look, get out of the way and let me do what I want to do. But because he's a gentleman, he concedes to your will and your action and the miracle doesn't happen. Don't allow paradigms. Don't allow perspectives or people to limit the potential for your miracle. We've got to shift our thinking. Perhaps your prayer this week is to ask the Lord to renew your mind. I love um, Colossians chapter 3, the first couple of verses. Paul writes to the church, which means you, and he says, Set your sights on the realities of heaven, that you would see what heaven is releasing into your world. The meaning there is literal. Not an imagination, not a feeling, not a buzz that we've got going on. It's a literal seeing with your natural eyes. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Perhaps you ask the Lord this week to renew your mind. The fifth thing, the final thing, the final thing this woman shows us, I want you to read this in verse 34 and verse 35. He lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, and his hands on the child's hands. As he stretched out on the child, the child's body began to grow warm again. Elisha got up, walked backwards and forth across the room once around, and then he stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. What's what's, what's Elisha showing us? See, Elisha shut himself away in the room. Why did he do this? I mean, like we run a ministry school, uh, classes here, and I'm not going to teach this in the healing class. I promise you this. I'm not going to get you lining up next to someone and lying on them with your hands on their hands and your mouth on their mouth and and hoping that they are revived or healed. That's not going to happen in my school of healing. I promise you. But he did learn it from his mentor. I won't go into it now, but just if you're writing notes, go back to 1 Kings chapter 17. Elijah did exactly the same thing with the widow, Zarephath, and the boy was revived. So, so we learn because we see repetition. I won't go into the story from 1 Kings. You can read it yourself, but here's my point. First thing, privacy makes us completely dependent on God. Get in your prayer closet. Don't make it public. Make it private. Shut the door and get on your knees. Privacy makes us dependent for God. The second thing I see in this is our design by God is that we should be intimate with Him. The proximity in this this thing is like very awkward because it's close and it's like, well, that's dodgy. No, God's saying, get close to me. The closeness we see in the physical nature shows us the need for intimacy with God. The third thing, I mean, we've got to have warmth and God is the one that brings warmth. I've got a story here about, you know, suggesting that Jamie and his friends on a hunting trip might be using body, body warmth to keep warm in the bush. You could ask him about that later. What's the point? God passes his life to us when we get close to him. It's called sharing warmth. We've got to get close to him. Has God gone away? No, but did you? The fourth thing we understand from this is, it says that Elisha breathed in the boy's mouth. What's necessary for you to have resurrection in your life is the breath of God. When we read Scripture, the breath of God is the Spirit of God. The Ruah. It's what God breathed into mankind and suddenly the Spirit came alive. Our Spirit designed after His Spirit, connected with His Spirit. You need God's Spirit in your life to bring new life to what was dead. And we're gonna land on that. This morning. Finally, because there was a repetition, he says he got up, he wandered around, he did it again. Here's something for you Persistence shows insistence. Your persistence shows your insistence. Will you petition God in faith repeatedly to see his miracle power working? Don't give up. Don't give up. Forget the band to come back. We're going to do, do a song that we do, only do occasionally. But it's 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 got some life in it today, and I want you to allow God to do something in you. What can we take from this end as we close the service? Proximity that leads to intimacy releases the breast of life. Proximity that leads to intimacy. I'm talking about God here, your relationship with God, proximity that leads to intimacy releases God's spirit in your reality. You can come to church as many times as you like. You can come seven days a week. But if your being here doesn't lead to intimacy with him, then there is no life. That's called religion. It's called a hard heart. What is necessary? This is no different for me than it is for you. I've got to get behind a closed door. I've got to get on my knees. I've got to open my heart. I've got to get close to God in order that his breath would pass into my life. I give advice to people that want it, um, not always followed, but um, if someone's going through a transition, here's my advice to them stop, wait, listen, and find God in the stillness. Stop, wait, listen, and find God in the stillness. When you stand. If you believe your dream is dead, it's time for you to allow God to do a miracle. God is a God of resurrection power and the same, Christ, same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. What God has done for many of us before, he's willing to do for you. I don't know what your situation is, but I'm declaring we're coming out of winter. The season of heaviness is gone. We're walking into spring. We should expect to see life and we should expect to see God breathe on us to bring that life. I've made my confession about this book. I've got other promises I'm not gonna share about today that I'm absolutely holding up before God with open hands saying, Lord, I need you to breathe life into these promises, not for my sake, but that you would be glorified through great things that you do in our lives. I'm leaving the good part up to him and I encourage you to do the same. So what's your response? What's your response today? How do you bring your heart before God? How do you open yourself up to allow Him to do that miracle? We're gonna sing this song, Spirit Move. We're gonna sing this song, believing that His Holy Spirit's gonna move in power. Is it a quiet song? I hope not. Because I want you to pray with I want you to pray the song with expectancy. I want you to sing it. Like if you don't know it, let the band sing it, but make it your prayer, your confession that it's His Spirit that brings life into you, into your circumstance. And if you've got something in your mind or your heart that you're holding as a promise, hold it in open hands and ask God to breathe on it. Ask Him to bring life into it and then wait for Him to do something. For He is never slow and coming to see us. For those of you that wanted the bonus, it's in 2 Kings chapter eight. The Shunammite woman returns after seven years being away because of a famine. And the miracle of that story, the Lord showed me this way, way, way back. In fact, I was living in a cheap motel in America with a family and God showed me the story and you'll see that the Shunammite woman came before the king after seven years of being away in a famine season. And the king said, restore to this woman not only her land, but the harvest from every one of those years that she was away. If you need God to restore something in your life today, hold that out. Hold it out before Him and say, you're the God of restoration. Breathe life into that which was stolen and dead and bring me what you've promised. You can be that bold in your prayers, trust me. Let's sing this as a prayer before God.
1: that you would pour your spirit out you said that you would fall in sons and daughters To come and blow.
2: thank You that You are the God of promises, that Your promises are yes and amen, that despite our circumstances, we can still have faith and absolute trust in You, that the promises are still alive, even though it looks like it is dying or is dead or it's a season that is dormant, there is still life being breathed into that promise, and God, we thank You that You have brought us into a new season where life is going to start to come forth and spring out from those dreams, those promises that have seemed dead, that you were going to speak life into them. God, we honour you that you are all forever faithful. God, I pray your blessing upon these people as as our family take time to draw close intimately with you, to seek you, to pray those prayers, to pray boldly to the things that you've placed on their heart to speak life into those situations. God, I Thank you that you're a God that hears and you're a God that answers and you're a God that's always there. May you bless your people. May we celebrate you behind the life that we get to see as you bring seed to life in Jesus' name. We honor you this morning. We thank you for your worship. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that you've done this morning, the touch from heaven. We ask your blessing upon your people as we go out this week. For your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, what a morning. I want to encourage you to come and join us again this evening at six o'clock and uh, spend some time with again in God's presence. It's nothing else like it. Amen. Uh, there is coffee available. If you've got your coffee card or you want to buy a coffee, there's coffee at the back there. Um, feel free to join. Don't forget your children. Um, Lenny would appreciate that, but pray a blessing over someone, love someone, and and enjoy the rest of the time together, and hopefully we'll see you tonight, amen, be blessed, amen.